and welcome to the 23rd episode of the British Football Coaches Network podcast, the Developing Your Football World podcast. I'm Matt Ward. I'm here again with James McAloon. James, how's your week been so far, mate? Yeah, it's been good, Matt. Uh, fantastic. Uh, as you know, my wife started a new job, so supporting her, being, uh, being a good husband, making sure that dinner's ready when she gets in and things. So, yeah, enjoying that. Doing my coaching, but looking after a few other things as well. So, yeah, all good, man. All good. Good, man. There you go. Responsibilities, roles and responsibilities. And what a great husband you are. Well, I hope she thinks that. Yeah, I think I do all right. When's your next round of golf coming in? When's your next round? (laughs) You know, I was thinking about that. I was going to go this last Monday, but uh, I didn't have anyone to play with things. Everyone's back at work. So, (laughs) a lot of all all my mates are mostly either footballers or school teachers uh, in the school where Mary works. So, there was no one around and I thought I'd be a bit of a Billy No Mates going out on my own. So, uh, I thought I'd wait and see if I could find a date when someone would come and play with me. So uh, I'm not sure yet, Matt, but I'll, be, I'll make sure to keep everybody informed. Good man, good man. And today, James and I are joined by Bristol City strength and conditioning coach and sports scientist, Hamish Munro. Hamish, thank you for joining us on our show, mate. Amazing to have you on. And how have you been keeping? Yeah, thanks for having me, gents. Good to be on. Um, been keeping well. I suppose everybody's been keeping bizarrely in the last few months with COVID and whatnot um, but we've managed to get back into the club uh, from an academy perspective in the last 10 days obviously the first team have been, a, been in a bit longer but good to get back to some sort of normality um, get out on the grass with the balls and whatnot um, so it's been good mate yeah. Awesome good to hear good to hear and although I want to I'm really impatient I want to go straight into talking about when you worked abroad I need to pull it in a little bit and I'm still interested and I want to know first about your kind of career pathway into becoming a sports scientist, strength and conditioning coach. Obviously you went to uni, etc. But how, how, where did it all go from there? Yeah, I suppose even before uni, sort of, I, like I worked in a gym um, when I was like 17, 18, had like an internship at a local gym that was attached to a tennis centre. And then obviously that rolled into the interest with uni, going to uni, um, getting a few different different degrees on different topics, um, and then sort of alongside it was was internships really. So any any picking up dirty towels and stuff. Oh mate, there was all sorts. The, the <laughs> urine samples, the yeah, all sorts. Um, Don't worry, my hangish, I did that as well when I was at uni. So yeah, we're all, we're all yeah, me also. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think everybody's been there at some stage, right? You sort of stealing different lads' kits to make sure you've got a badge on your chest and whatnot. But, but yeah, it was um, no, it wasn't that bad. I'm selling them short, to be fair. So, so yeah, the internships were um, alongside uni. So that was Norwich City in the academy. Um, that was when they were prem. What would it have been? Almost ten years ago now. Paul Lambert. Um, so that was a good season. Had half a season. Um, interning at Peterborough United in the Championship under Darren Ferguson. Um, that was that wasn't anywhere near as successful as the other internship. It was like a lot of hours for an unpaid internship, and yeah, I just sort of I was very close to having enough, to be fair. And then luckily, um, 
got a call from my old boss at Norwich, who I stayed very close with, um, about an opportunity in China. Um, and then and then China was born out of that, and then China came and Dubai and um, everything else after. But I suppose they were the they, they that was the starting ground the, the the internships back in the UK. So yeah, I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you just mentioned that uh, as you finish Hamish because look, I I understand and I know it's the same for sports scientists, analysts, physios, the same uh, kind of. Yeah, question being asked from as coaches as well. Why should we be doing internships or getting paid undesirable salaries when you know you're you're fully qualified or you're you're going through your degree or qualifications and your courses and whatnot? And look, the way I see, I I totally get it. I totally understand, and and I know I know people deserve more. Professionals deserve more. But basically, there's two sides. You either don't do it. And maybe you're not going to get an opportunity later on because you're still waiting for that entry level and you're waiting and waiting, which is going to suit you. Or you do what you've done. You get a good couple of internships with, with two professional clubs, decent pro clubs. And yeah, it's not surprisingly that you're, you're in a role now. So I really think that there is a lot of value in that and fair play to you doing that because there are some, and it's not begrudging them, but there are some which perhaps wouldn't of how 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 did the internships shape you in terms of experience or at least just giving you some kind of experience in the environment which you wanted to go into as a full-time worker yeah from all sorts of perspectives so obviously like a lot of us like I played as a kid and stuff so like I had a reasonable understanding of you know, the chat and the banter and everything else that went around in football clubs, gyms, changing rooms, whatever. But in terms of like the professional day-to-day running, what is expected, what's not expected, um, those internships were invaluable. I made an unbelievable amount of mistakes in them, which in paid roles probably wouldn't have been as forgiving. Um, And then obviously when you're at clubs like that, They've obviously got good people on board. So you sort of have ready-made mentors um, that you can sort of pick out, ask questions of. There's often, I often hear people talk, use a phrase that I'm not sure I massively agree with, and it's, it's, it's paying it forward. People always talk about paying it forward. And don't get me wrong, if you have an ability to do that, absolutely. But when you're right at the start, you've got nothing to offer. You have to almost pay it backwards. You have to be willing to do whatever they want you to do but you have to, you, you are asking them to help you. So you, you almost have to pay it backwards when you, whenever you have a, an ability to do so further down the line. Um, so yeah, I, I, like you said, it, it, it shapes you in any number of ways. It's a safe environment to make mistakes. You have mentors, people you can bounce off. There'll be people that you can bounce off throughout your career. So it's, um, it's really, really important. And, and it, may, it may seem quite a basic observation but doesn't being an intern somewhere actually give you that first big opportunity to network with people for when you do actually want to get a, a full-time job yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent and when I was doing those internships I got introduced to two books I always mention these to to like younger coaches and whatnot but um two books Dale Carnegie how to win friends and influence people and Keith Ferrazzi 
yeah, Never Eat Alone, those two books. And I just, like, I, I go back to them all the time. Um, and they're probably two of the most important. I mean, I, I read, like, loads of networking books in the end, but those two were, like, really important in building a network, um, like you say, and then um, staying close to those people, offering things to those people when you have, when you can. And if you're lucky enough to sort of have things offered to you by other people, then that's great. Then you're sort of indebted to them. Mate, you, you've just, I'm not sure people who are listening, uh, who, who will be listening, uh, will appreciate it, but you literally just give listeners, I know myself because I've read them, but you've given them uh, a possible future in basically making their own fortunes and the fortunes doesn't have to be in money terms. Like the books you've just recommended, if people are smart, they will be looking it up now and ordering it to read if they've not already read it. And that is just absolute massive truth what you just said there. So, yes, thank you for that bit of gold dust very early on. And it, it, I, I can't question that because it is absolute truth. And, and this is what we should be doing, looking outside of the game to better ourselves because it's actually going to better us in our position inside the game as well. Sometimes we forget about our own personal development outside of the professional development. Whereas you develop yourself as a person, your career is going to go with it. I would have thought it's kind of sensible, but hey, common sense isn't always common. I just think you've, uh, you've paid it backwards there, Hamish, already, as, uh, as Matt said. Yeah, fantastic mm -hmm. uh, recommend on the books. Uh, I'll just uh, touch on the, I think this is a really great, thing that you mentioned there in terms of your own self-reflection that those internships were a great platform a great environment because you were supported by good people that allowed you to make i think i think you used uh, use the phrase an enormous maybe not an enormous, an enormous amount of mistakes and <laughs> i don't want you to reveal those mistakes or anything but how how did um, how did the people around you uh, support you when you made the mistakes did you automatically go oh, yeah, I made that mistake or were they able to come in and say right you know Hamish this is how we should do this um, so on and so forth or was it later on in your career now that you look back and go can't believe I did that you know, I, talk us through like the, that kind of little bit of process and how it worked out for you yeah it's um there were very different experiences obviously I won't talk about people by names but like the first intern, like you're going to have good internships and bad internships. Like when I was at Norris, that was an unbelievable internship. And I wasn't necessarily that aware that I was making mistakes when I was making them. It was more, I think the people around me and the head of Academy Sports Science um, was coercing me, you know, like it, it wasn't like a dictatorial thing. It was come in, look at what we do, learn what we do, look, listen, ask questions, just have a watch. And it was like you given time to sort of embed yourself into what their way of doing things. Whereas Peterborough, much smaller club, much smaller staff. It was very much more you're going to be doing from day one. Um, and you're going to be doing what is set out, even if you don't agree with it. And it was, that was, that was a lot harder. Because um, like I said, it was smaller club, smaller budget more was put more emphasis was put on the interns when like we weren't really ready for it um and yeah like i say i think it just comes back for to, to, to good and bad internships and the people within them 
they will be able to, or they should be able to just guide you um, in safe environments rather than it being um, an unsafe environment and a, uh, a more, you know, blatant, you're getting this wrong sort of thing. So <laughs> yeah, this comes back to the people in the, in, in the, in the positions around you again. Fantastic. Uh, good, cool. And yeah, I think that you're absolutely right in there. Hit the nail on the head there with the uh, the idea that the environment's so important. And I guess it, it could be a club with a massive budget or a club with a small budget if you've got the right person to, to feed back to you and, as you say, guide you in the right direction without telling you. Because you know we all know that you learn, we all learn better from from doing and being guided than we do from being told. Um, yeah, that's so important. So if there's any football clubs listening in and you've got interns in there, treat them well. Yeah. They could be the future of your coaching team. You know, you, you know, as Hamish was explaining that, I mean, it's really interesting, right? So one, one club kind of appreciates that you are an intern and they're trying to actually support you and get you to help them as well. And then another club, bit of a contrast, you're straight in being treated like a member, full paid member of staff and you've got to, you've got to toe the line. I'm sat here and it reminds me of work experience when you've got to do like two weeks work experience at school. So the first week, amazing. I, I, was, I was with the military, uh, physical training instructors, loved it. The second week, I was at the local Temping Bowling Alley cleaning out deep fat fryers. And I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> and the boss is like, you missed a bit. Where's the, have you ever cleaned a, a, a chip fat fire? You've got oil everywhere and it's disgusting. So when you say that, I'm thinking, yeah, I, I was used. I was used as a work experience. Exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, a lackey. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, Hamish, you're, you're, uh, you're currently at Bristol City now. Uh, how's that been going? And, and obviously, talking about kind of pre-virus times now, uh, what was your role and what, were, what have been some of your responsibilities within the club? Um, so like my, my main responsibility going in, um, pre COVID was looking after the scholars, uh, strength and conditioning. So the 18s, uh, the 18s group, and then, uh, looking after some of the older school boys and then assisting up with, um, certain th first team bits as well. So I'd sort of float between, um, float between squads, which was, which was good for different exposures. Um, and I was pretty much gym based. Yeah. Um, so I could garner a bit more detail and spend a bit more time on certain things, which was nice, um, as opposed to previous roles. Um, out of COVID, obviously, a lot of things have changed. Um, sort of a lot more on-field responsibilities now, looking after the, the tracking and the meetings with coaches and putting together sessions and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, it's changed a bit. But obviously, it's changed, changed for a lot of people. So um, just, just to be back at work is, um, yeah, is a positive for the time being, mate. Now, for, for, any, for any coaches which haven't had the, the pleasure of working with other staff in their club before, uh, you know, I don't think everyone appreciates, just like all the staff, down from the grounds person or the laundry people to, to assistant coaches or whatnot, the bus driver, but sports scientists are actually a, a, a person of a jack of all trades, a person of all trades. You're there, some are physio-based, some are uh, warm up and cool down, some are uh, strength and conditioning, some are more physio based or helping the, the medicine and physio department. Uh, is, is 
could you go in there now and on any given day you could be put into a, although you, you said you was kind of gym based and, and working on strength and conditioning, but you could be placed in kind of any area within the club to help out in that area. Yeah, I think that's like the model that our um, like head of physical performance for the club, like that's the model he wants. So obviously we have like, like any organisation, you have a hierarchy. So we have our heads of S&C, heads of sports science, um, head of physiotherapy and whatnot. Um, but the idea is that, like you say, you sort of, if you recruit well, then those people can work up, work down and, and they, they should be able to be comfortable in those environments. Um, so yeah, that's, I've enjoyed it to be fair, working up and working down, like sort of obviously my main role, I lead it, the, the teams uh, below the 18s I lead on and then I get to go up and assist and take more of a backseat and sort of um, help to deliver somebody else's programme uh, to a certain perspective. So um, obviously it all feeds in anyway, so they're very similar things. But um, but yeah, it's good. You, 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 get, you get both sides of it. You get to sort of assist and ask and... Uh, have a look at how people are doing it differently and then and then the day-to-day -day sort of get to lead and, and, and implement um, your different ideas. And, it, and it's also very, of course, the attention to detail has to be immense. For example, uh, we, we had a, a sports scientist who worked at uh, Ajax. Um, he wasn't always on the, on the pitch and, and pitch side in trainings and everything, but, you know, he, he, he was concentrating on the weather and how much time we spent in the shade on our downtime and everything and everyone was down to the tea obviously all, all the tracking all, all the work rates all the loads and everything and literally sports science is what it says it, it, it's the science of the people who are, are, are working as players in in the sport they're doing or, or the athletes and it's a, it's a huge huge essential part of any kind of professional environment so I, 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 was, I think it was a, probably one of the LMA courses I did online or maybe a discussion. And someone said, uh, oh, yeah, out of these, which, which uh, role, which member of staff would you leave out? And you had a few choices, goalkeeper, uh, coach, sports scientist, and everything. And really, there's no answer because if you can, you need everyone in place. And you don't realise that until you work at a club, a professional club, with everyone in place. But uh, I may be wrong having not worked at a pro club in the UK, but even some of the, the lower league clubs, they don't have the resources to have everyone in place. So you do have everyone doubling over as such. So is, is it, would that be fair to say you could be going, you're, you're taking yeah. basically the warm-up of the training sessions, the pre-match, and then you're doing the... Uh, a bit of strength and conditioning, some sports science as well, the tracking, the data tracking. Yeah, it, like you say, as you go up the ladder and as you go down, things change quite considerably. So even like from my own experiences, like being abroad, I was the, I was the fitness coach, right? So obviously when you're, the, when you're the fitness coach, normally in smaller clubs, you're the fitness coach, the sports scientist, strength conditioning coach, rehab coach. Um, sometimes assistant coach um, so you do a bit of all sorts but then obviously as you work up the ladder at sort of Man City's, Milan's, Real Madrid's, whoever you're going to have multiple strength conditioners, multiple sports scientists, multiple fitness coaches um, and it's just about garnering that detail like I was talking about earlier like it's your ability to affect things can only go so deep depending on the responsibilities 
the remit of responsibilities you have, right? So if your net's class really wide, you're the fitness coach, sports scientist, rehab guy, everything else, your, your detail, um, it can't be great. Otherwise, you're going to be doing 20 hours a day. Um, whereas if you're in a, in a single role, like a strength and conditioning coach, for example, then ordinarily you, your focus is normally gym. You're a bit more of a like strength, power, speed guy, and you can drill down into those areas, into individuals. So like you say, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's, very depend- it's very dependent on where you are as well, right? Like, like you guys know from working abroad fitness coaches abroad i remember in china like to begin with i was literally the warm-up coach i was like what is this i'm doing warm-ups <laughs> that's all i do and then even some of them the coach was like i'm not having them sorry bring him on. Like, okay, bring him on. there he is okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> literally it was right get yourself in get the warm-up done get yourself off hey, there you yeah, go. Get, bonkers, get yourself off Come yeah on. <laughs> And then, yeah, so obviously you've got that one end of the spectrum and then like sort of now post-COVID at Bristol, for example, um, the GPS guy, the warm-up guy, the gym-based guy, the conditioning guy, meetings with the coaches guy. So, yeah, it, it, it very much depends on where you are, like, and, and again, who you do or don't have around you, right? I, I, I feel you, dude. In, in China, I was also the warm-up guy, but not the warm-up of the first team, the warm-up of the subs. The subs warm-up. Yeah. So you go on the yeah, ground there. Yeah. Hey, everyone, yeah? Okay, come on, yeah. subs. You don't even want to warm-up like that. So yeah. I, I feel you, man. Worst job, easily. Uh, <laughs> yeah, mate. Having to haggle with substitutes. I remember like, in, in, in Dubai, like it was literally a haggle. The, the scoreboard would be there, and you, you know, 1-0, 0-0, 3-0, whatever. And there'd be certain characters and, you know, it'd be like, I don't know, 70 minutes. And you'd be like, right, we're doing bits to 73 and then you can chill till 76. Just do your own thing. Have a look like you're stretching. That's cool. Just work for three minutes. And it was, yeah, it was just constant bargaining. Yeah. What uh, what kind of bargaining chips did you have in that that argument? It's like a lot of them, people, you know, subs on the bench, you know, is they're like, well, there's no way I'm going on. So was it? Was yeah. it like, yeah, the manager's had a word. You know, he might become you. You six might be coming on. Yeah, you having to give the fake shout to the bench. Yeah, no, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, literally. We I didn't get to the point of walkie-talkies. I, I wasn't all that important. But um, yeah, no, I know. I think like it's just like any role in it. Like you just got to get to know him really quickly, yeah. and. And some of them, I think some of them, you just have to let them do their own thing. I think like if you like, if you know someone's not coming up, you know that from pre- previous meetings and everything else, and he's his head's going. I think you just just leave him. It's, it's only going in tears, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, but but if you, as you get to know people, you you can press certain buttons, right? And some people you shout at, some people you put your arm around, some people you just have a bit of banter with, some people you just it's just different people right and you just press different buttons and yeah it seems to seems to work out uh this question might be going off in a slightly bit of a tangent matt so i'll you know i'll try and keep it short so i think it might be interesting it's about the um being a, a strength and conditioning coach fitness coach and all the other hats that you wear we've obviously after covid not after covid it's not gone yet but in the in the Premier League and in in the Championship, five subs was introduced, and then there's been a, a lot of talk about that continuing into the next season. 
I actually don't know whether that vote was after been voted on, whether that is continuing or not. Um, but as a as a strength and conditioning coach, even without COVID, with five subs, do you believe that we'd be able to decrease the amount of unnecessary injuries that do not only impact the performance of football teams, but really do have a, a staggering uh, impact on the career of professional footballers. Uh, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, mate, it's a really good question, isn't it? A really, really good question. I think even if we take the five subs and the COVID argument out of it, or yeah. scenario, I should say, England, for example, their schedule is bonkers. Like when I came home and I saw all the all the sort of fixtures and the days mapped out, I was like, this is absolutely bonkers. This like no wonder people break. You know, when you when you look at the density of the Christmas period, I mean, like it is it is bonkers. Like not having a winter break. I think yeah, I, th I think you're right. I think there's certain fixtures where, as a fitness coach, if you're on a three day turnaround, for example. There's going to be people starting that game and you're literally going to be sat there thinking, I hope we've done enough here. Yeah. Like if you, if you have a, and that's, that's really, that's where the head coach and everything else becomes really important. Like I've worked for head coaches who just don't believe in gym. They won't let players in the gym, which you know, in the, in the modern day, all the science we have in itself is bonkers. Um, but then obviously I've had coaches who are like really heavily into it. And even then, when you're when you're in there and you're doing your prep, you're doing your heavy lifting, your jumps, your prehab, mini bands, whatever else. I, I always used to. It was quite weird. I used to. I still do to a certain extent. I have this like. Can you remember like old school games when you had like an energy bar above people's head? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. see the energy Street bar disappear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I like. I, I like have them on players, and I'm like, yeah. is he undercooked? Is he overcooked? <laughs> have we done yeah. enough? And I'm looking at people, and especially like the last 20 minutes of games, you're looking at them and I'm like, Ooh. and I'm like, please get through this. And uh, you, you know what you're going to do after the game. You're straight in the ice bath, sleep, food, this, yeah. that. But, um, but yeah, you'd like to think, going back to your question, you'd like to think that it would help. Um, and, and, and it should, it, of course, being able to rotate more. Um, it, it should be able to, to help teams. I think the only thing that could potentially scupper it is, is if obviously we're already on a condensed season, again, from a British perspective, starting uh, mm -hmm. the middle of September. So if the TV and the everything else influences the fact that cup comp all the cup competitions stay, then your fixture density could be just as bad as before, if not worse, which mm -hmm. could almost make the five substitutes relative again, if that makes sense. So... Yeah. I think it depends on how they do the, the fixture planning. I think, I think money's always going to get in the way of it. Um, but I think as long as the gaps in between the games stay relative to the last previous seasons and the five substitutes stay, then you should have a little bit more leeway, right? Even if it is for a couple of individuals rather than a team. Has it, has it been decided yet or not? I'm not sure, to be honest. I'm, I'm really not sure. Um, James, uh, the last I heard, but the Premier League, the clubs did... The majority voted against it, but I don't know if it's been decided, but they did vote against it. Well, the interesting thing is that, like, from a, and, you know, obviously strength and conditioning coach, physios, or the medical team, is that it's got to be only a matter of time before the PFA get involved and say, look, you know, we're overstressing our players. They need more rest. What is the argument against, what is the legitimate argument against 
having five subs. You don't have to use them, but for teams who have a, a smaller squad and their load is so heavy, and we could injure a player, he might, he might do an ACL, he might, do, he might double the hamstring based on load. What, you know, it's, you know, our duty of care, isn't it, to protect the player? Yeah, 100%. 100%, yeah. mate. And I think there's a, there's a storm brewing as well with the ownership of players' data as yes. well. That is coming. Um, we take so much data. So, for example, if you look at like our first team where, where they have all the, the fancy tech and whatnot, we, there's wellness data that will have multiple streams of data. There's a tracking data from the GPS and heart rate, multiple sources. There's all the on-field analysis, um, well, uh, psychological stuff. There's, oh, there's so much data. And it's been in a bit of a, I don't know, it's been a bit up in the air. As to who owns it, does the club own it? Does the player own it? Do the sports scientists who are taking it own it? I don't think we do. I think the legitimate argument is, is, is it the club or is it the player? And I think player ownership on that data is coming and it's coming quick. And I think that alongside what you're saying, James, in terms of that duty of care and the realistic turnaround time between fixtures and whatnot, that's going to manifest into... I don't know what, but it's definitely going to manifest into a big debate. Um, yeah. Five subs, yeah. water, tactical breaks, all these little yeah. bits and moments where you can help players recover and maybe get a bit of information, a tactical break. You might go on and speak to, you know, left back and say, how do you feel? And he says, well, I played three days ago and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a bit tight here. And yeah. why can't we change that player if it's, uh, if it's a health risk? Why can't we do it? Surely that's a good thing. Exactly. And, and you nailed it with the, the, the career perspective. I think people look at, the, the model people always look at is the, the players at Man City who have six-year deals on 100 grand a week. That's, they are anomalies. That is yes. not, there is not many of them. Um, so like when you say, if, you know, if somebody's had two hamstring tears before they're 22 and then they're into a team where the fixture congestion is, you know, they've got three games in eight days or whatever, like they're potentially in big trouble if they don't really look after um, look after their bodies and their previous injuries duty of care like, like you said James and hey Monsieur, great great insight there mate and uh, now the only argument or one of the main arguments was oh yeah but teams with deeper squads and more money have the benefit yes they do however isn't it football's fault that this has happened in the first place right <laughs> without going into this too much so it is, let's say, the Premier League's fault, it's FIFA's fault, that this has been allowed to happen with all ownership and everything, what we know has been going on and will continue to go on. But still, it's, should this be put ahead of uh, a person, a human's career, uh, for them to make money and provide? And, and as you both have already mentioned, you know, not everyone has a long career or a short career, let's say a short career on a huge contract. You know, some people are literally no different some players sorry are no different to a normal working person when you strip everything back they have to provide for families regardless of, of contract and salary and if that's taken away from them it's like taking away uh, the ability for someone to work who's an accountant or a hairdresser yeah. they can no longer provide their normal life's needs and exactly the same it's worrying really worrying like taking away a hairdresser's scissors got to use your hands it's not going to work yeah. well no, it'll work for me it'll be okay for me but other people <laughs> you know, you've both you both got decent hair 
you're not going to get any any scissorless hairdressers going for yours. And so, yeah, <laughs> great, great insight to that. And uh, before James, before you compliment my uh, my good head again, I'm I, I'm shape, really interested to uh, moving on to Hamish's uh, adventures abroad. So, mate, what was the first uh, kind of adventure you had? Where was it? It was it was China, mate. It was it was it was very short lived. The first one in Chengdu. So, like I was talking about Norwich a lot. My old boss from there, or my old boss's boss. Um, sort of helped open a door to a club called Chengdu Blades. So they used to be linked to Sheffield United, obviously the name. Um, yeah. And he had been there for a season while he was contracted by Sheffield United many, many years before. Um, and he'd been contacted and said, look, we want a British fitness coach, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, yeah, let's do this call. Like 22, don't know what I'm doing, let's go. Um, went over there. There was a Chinese head coach who I don't even think was aware I was coming. Like, so the, the president who was like Chinese, but he spent a lot of his life in Britain was like, we need a British fitness coach, let's do it. <laughs> cool. So yeah, I got there and it That's was like, the, yeah, mate, it was carnage from day one. And the, the head coach was like, I, like, you know, I don't, I don't even really want to work with you, basically. Um, <laughs> And I was like, that? wow, that's, yeah, it, 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 this guy was savage. Like, it, that was his last job. He hasn't worked again since, which is not surprising to me. Um, so we went to Kunming. I don't know if you went there on like a pre-season training camp. Like, look, all the, the teams like China League 1, League 2, yeah. some Super League teams um, go down there. And it was like six weeks of like military camp. Honestly, it was like nothing I've ever seen before. Um, and like throughout that time, like I tried to get involved and tried to, he had like, he'd worked under a Serbian before, right? Um, on a staff in China. And this Serbian would do the same physical training circuit every week for every part of the season. And being 22 and I was a bit bull in the China shop mentality. I was like, this is bonkers. How can you do the same thing every week for every player? This is crackers. So I tried to like infiltrate that over the time we were on this pre-season camp. It was not happening. I basically got banished to the rehab lads. So all my time and energy went into the rehab boys, which I didn't mind to be fair, because the three or four lads that were injured were good lads. Um, luckily, there was another a, a team from China League 2 who were on the same tra training camp whose boss had played in Switzerland. And he was watching what I was doing in he was like, oh, this is a bit different to what everybody else is doing. Like, I, I saw this in Europe. This is, this is good. Um, so the president from my current club rang me and he was like, look, this isn't working. I was like, yes, clearly. I've been absolutely banished. <laughs> and um, he was <laughs> like, but this, this, yeah, he was like, but this other team, like, they want to take you. And like, would you do it? And I was like, well, yeah, if not, I'm going to be on a plane home pretty shortly. So yeah, let's do it. Um, went to Qinghai, which... I'm sure you guys know, like, it's way out there in China. Like, I was, I, I think I was the first foreign professional coach, like, in any capacity, physio, medical coach, whatever, to work in a professional club in that province. So it's literally, we got to this city, and it was like walking around and people are staring at you. Like, what, who is this foreigner? And it was like, it was bonkers, mate. Thankfully, two weeks after I joined, an assistant coach from Portugal came, and we became, like, really, really close friends, and he was... He was unbelievable. Um, I learned a lot from him, and that 
and it sort of it went from there and thankfully like think things improved but yeah that was that first sort of scenario with Chengdu was it was bonkers mate it was um what, what, what it was definitely you... a learning experience <laughs> I bet it was uh... And when, when you got banished to the uh, the rehab guys, well, yeah. basically you don't give a shit. The problem, I wouldn't be surprised if they was there getting treatment while smoking, uh, which is, uh, considering we used yeah. to have a team doctor, uh, which used to smoke on the touchline, uh, I, I, I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised. Uh, in any, <laughs> at a reserve oh. game, he sat with the other team doctor, watching the lads play, and they both got a fag on. Yeah, so, mate, you've... How did you you've find triggered a story there? there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you've triggered a story there, mate. Like there. Oh, so go when we got it. to this next team, this Qinghai Sunka, um, the first game was like an FA Cup qualifying game. So we were playing like an amateur team. So we pulled up on the bus into the stadium. There's like, you know, it's like three or four thousand people there because I hadn't seen professional football before. So it was like quite tight. Like, it's, like, oh, it's pretty cool, making a good noise. Everything else is fine. Decent. Start the game, I think we're like three and a half at half time or something. And then we all start to disappear back down the tunnel. I obviously stay out, have a little ping with the subs and then go back in like 10 minutes before the end just to make sure like everything's good and nothing else needs to happen. As I'm walking through the tunnel, there's like three lads from the other team, literally in the tunnel. Like that. <laughs> the smoke. I'm like, have I walked into a time machine here? What is... <laughs> oh, it's bonkers, mate. I literally couldn't believe it. Um... Again, like 22, bright-eyed, like didn't know what day of the week it was. I was like, wow, what is this? Um, it was crackers, mate. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> we, oh, we, used to, we, we had to kind of bargain, and as, as we've already used, bartered with one of our first team players. Look, actually bringing them off cigarettes. Okay, so, okay, this week you've had that much. That's good. We're bringing it down. If... Now, by the next few weeks, by the time we play the, the league uh, champions, if you can maybe down to 10 a day, that'd be great. And then, well, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. They used to be Super League players as well. So, yeah, I'm glad you also experienced that because a lot of people just can't, wouldn't be able to fathom how real it is out there. <laughs> Amish, so apart from your, your uh, uh, first experiences in, in Asia, you also went to the Middle East in, uh, in the UAE. I've also been there. Mm. And I, I also know that you're possibly faced with different challenges uh, there as, as a person in your position as well. So uh, tell us a bit more about your adventures in, in the Middle East. Yeah, so it was, um, it was a different one to start with, mate. So... I only went out to Dubai as like a, a general SNC coach to start with. So I was, I was working out of the gym for the first few months and then um, got to know a couple of English clubs at um, a club called Al Ali. It's called Shabab Al Ali now after a like, reformation, but um, got to know some English guys and a guy called Chris Loxton helped me out there, got me a job um, after somebody had left or been pumped up to the first team. So I was working with, yeah, 21's team. Um, and it was... It was interesting, mate. I was lucky in that my head coach was a local guy, but was an unbelievable guy. Like, he's probably one of the best blokes I've ever met. Um, and I got really, really lucky with that. And he was, he was open. So he was constantly on study visits to Europe. He was constantly asking questions. Um, like, my title wasn't, but I was pretty much his assistant there. Like, there was assistant coaches, but um, the amount of conversations we'd have, like, the night before games, after games... 
yeah there was there was all sorts and that relationship was really really good and to be honest the relationship with the players was good like i liked them like i had no problem with any of them i thought they were all good blokes it was just the culture of ease and comfort and laziness was incredible and and i, I don't even necessarily blame those guys for that because they were like 18 19 20 and they had everything like guys were like pulling into the car park with like Porsches, Range Rovers, hadn't worked a day in their life. They're probably not going to have to work a day in their life. So that intrinsic motivation was pretty lacking in a lot of us. Um, there were a few who just, you know, like parents had played and other things that were like unbelievably driven to get ahead. And they're now playing like first team football, playing for the UAE and whatnot. Um, and they were, they were really good to work with. But yeah, the, 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 the the culture of comfort and everybody was so laid back, they were horizontal and that was, that was challenging at times. That, that's one of the, that's one of the things which I, I thought would have been challenging because, uh, mm. you know, I, I don't know how bad it sounds when you call kind of a, it's not calling a, a, a country lazy, but like you said, when everything is kind of done, done for people, it becomes mm. harder like you said again, uh, Hamish, to, to actually motivate them for different reasons. And especially when, yes, a lot of them are from wealthy families. Same with some of the Chinese players as well. It's almost like they're doing it as a hobby. So when you're there and it's your job, your full-time profession, and then you're working with other full-time professionals which don't really need to be a full-time professional, it's a massive challenge in itself. So it's not saying they're lazy people. It's saying the environment and the situation they're their own personal situation makes things harder or makes them lazier uh, in in terms mm. of that. And uh, how how did you find the uh, just out of interest? How did you find the the levels of playing compared to UAE and uh, and China and and even the UK? Yeah, I th- I always found it quite hard to quantify. Like without having them like literally side by side, like I find yeah. I find it quite yeah. hard. I think I think. In China, the playing level was quite low, um, but I was working at a third tier, so it was going to be low. Um, there was a couple of guys that had played Super League years and years previous. But 20 years ago. <laughs> got ran out of legs. and Yeah, literally, mate. And, um, so, yeah, like, I, was, I wasn't blown away by that in China. In, in the UAE, like, technically, they weren't bad. And, like, athletically, like, they were quick, but they weren't very resilient. Um, the game understanding wasn't great um, and their ability to um, make decisions under pressure in games was poor as well and the, the responsibilities around that was poor. I think in comparison to the UK, I think we have an ability to really overinflate where our players are at just because they're English, to be honest. Um I think your individuals are a lot more driven. They're a lot more committed. They're a lot more professional. Technically, tactically, they're better because they have better access. Um, But I think, yeah, I think, I mean, you see it at the first team level, right? The the prices people are paying for English players in comparison to guys they're bringing in from Holland, Belgium, Germany, whatever, is bonkers a lot of the time. Um, And that's where you're starting to see certain clubs get a bit cuter with their recruitment as sporting directors and, and everything else and they're having a bit of success that way um so yeah i think i, I always find it quite hard to quantify me but i think obviously england with the access with the history with the, the support staff and whatnot i think it, it's obviously a very good level 
really interesting. And, and James, just just before you can you can come in, mate. Uh, when I was in the UAE in my in my fitter days, when I was still playing a bit, I played against a, a, a second division team, you know, uh, from Oman, and they tried to sign me, and I was like. Hey lads, I'm really honoured, but uh, I'm just having a kickabout. <laughs> and uh, the yeah. funny thing was, I was playing centre midfield with my Adidas Sambas on, not boots, just my Sambas kicking about. Yeah, <laughs> one, sounds about just, right. Just, just <laughs> two weeks after, yeah. So uh, I did a bit, yeah. so man, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, I didn't know, I didn't know it was so alike. I'm, I kick around my Sambas now as well, because it's easier on my knees. <laughs> I feel, I feel like I get a bit of contact in my sambas than I do in any <laughs> pair of boots. I actually had to buy a new pair because my old ones from about six years ago disintegrated in the heat the other week. So, yeah, fantastic, eh? Who knew? Who knew? Do you wear sambas, Hamish, or are we a bit too old for you? No, like my first, my first coach, like as a kid, was all about the sambas on the 4G. Well, it wasn't 4G back then, it was 3G. Fucking, um, with the fucking <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I was never a Samba man. I used to get a bit fruity in my boots as a kid, like Lottos, Germas, Kelmates, Ooh, and that was yeah. Um Sambas I never graced. Yeah, well, get yourself a pair of great. <laughs> <laughs> as you get older, a few more years. <laughs> I'll be in the slippers by then. Whee! Right. <laughs> Any slippers on now? To be honest, I've never had. Uh, I've, I've been on holiday there. I've been to a couple of the Emirates, but I've never actually seen any any football. I actually watched a couple of football games on the telly um, while yeah. you know when you're, and the stadiums look fantastic. And but I, yeah, I had a kind of a. Actually, I say I've watched a couple. I've actually probably watched two because the standard was was pretty dreadful. Because like you've got um you've got these great environments, great stadiums, pitches immaculate, and then you're looking at this like you know the coach it like and and I'm like what are you doing like how are you playing there like you you know players like humping it forward, miscontrolling it, humping it back like wow what is going on here and I bet you a lot of I bet you there's big money in those leagues as well. I, I'm not sure, Hamish, you probably know more than me. Like, look at this game. This cannot be true. What is going on? And you've got like the, the foreigner coach on the sidelines just going like this, like literally yeah. going, what is going on? Yeah, that's, all, like, that's all my only opinion. <laughs> that's all I've seen. Go on, Hamish, is that yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, like, it's, 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 the money is bonkers, mate. Like, I could, I mean, and it's changing now because I think somebody in a high place took a step back, looked at it and went, <laughs> hang on. Um, nobody's watching it and we're paying how much yeah. and that was obviously a bit of a problem but even like the, the second division in the UAE mate we had um, a kid from our 21s really good kid actually talented he's playing in the top league there now uh, went on loan to the second division to a team called Fajera who at the time were managed by a certain Diego Maradona yeah and and um, the stories he used to come back with were yeah. He, his first, he came back. I remember we were playing a preseason friendly, and he's come back, and he's literally come in like sat beside us on the side of the pitch, and he's like, "All we do is get rammed by his assistants," and he's sat there in the stands with a cigar on the go. He's like, "It's something. It's like something out of a film." And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm not even shocked. <laughs> like, I'm not even shocked. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, bonkers, man. I know it's crazy, and and. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I remember, and you, and you will get these random appointments of 
people like Diego Maradona what pop up yeah. and then you don't hear about anything again you don't even hear that they left but they obviously yeah. have left but an interesting thing you mentioned Hamish is the kind of uh, uh, the, the style uh, that UAE players have and then when you look at the Asian uh, international competitions now you always in the past you've always seen the Middle East Asian countries or the Middle East countries outpower the better Asian countries, even South mm. Korea, etc., who sometimes struggle. Uh, or definitely the mid-range Asian countries will, will get hammered by a Middle East country. And that's mainly because they're more powerful, the strength, the power, and sometimes they've got better facilities, more resources, etc. But slowly now, uh, especially in the past year and a half, maybe two years, uh, the, the teams such as uh, Vietnam, uh, such as even, even the Philippines and, uh, you know, even, uh, uh, even Taiwan's had a bit of joy. Uh, they, they, they beat Bahrain uh, probably uh, three, three or four years ago, uh, are slowly to gain on them. Now, what you said about them not having that, not no heart or motivation or drive, but they do lack it. And if these... Uh, Asian teams do go in front. The Middle Eastern teams do struggle. And most of the time, it's literally, if they've got a player, one of them plays in the Premier League, for example. It, it could be, it could be uh, Kuwait and they've got a player in the Bundesliga or something. Then, you know, their quality is, is too strong for the opposition. But if you really get at them and you really get their heads down, you know, they lit, as James mentioned, when the, the games he watched, they don't have any kind of game plan. There isn't any rhythm, you know, there's no penetration, there's no consistency. You could have, you could have someone take a great corner, then the next one, the corner's scuffed. I know this happens with Asian countries as well. So it's just really interesting how, how they do compare when they compete against each other. And it's interesting if, if everything was stripped back, the money, the resources, finances and, and whatnot, you know, how would the abilities between Asian and Middle East countries have to play together? How... How would that? Uh, how would that mix? It, it'll be interesting. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I think even in the Middle East. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've, I've been told by a few guys that so you've got the UAE, who the guys don't really have to worry. They're they're set for life, and yeah, yeah, they don't have to panic. Bahrain, I think, is in a very similar situation. Um, <laughs> even though Amman, it's the size not... of a town, Bahrain, Bahrain's the size of a small yeah. town. <laughs> Exactly, you've got Bahrain, then you've got Qatar, um, exactly the same, very wealthy. Oman, not quite so much. And then Saudi, I think I was told by a lot of guys that there's not as much money purely because of the depth of the population yeah. in terms of that spread of cash. So guys have a bit more drive to sort of get ahead. I think if you look traditionally in like Asian competitions, I think the Saudis in club and country would definitely be the most successful Middle East Middle Eastern yeah. nation. I mean, obviously they have that dearth of population, which help. But um, but yeah, I think there's definitely a bit more drive to sort of get ahead of. of uh, um, Iran, Iran are very strong. Iran are very strong. Yeah. I mean, Iran physically as well. I remember we played. I remember watching our Long first team play an Asian teams. Champions League game, and um, it was Estegar. Yeah. And um, Mark. Mate, animals like our, our centre halves were like normal Emirati guys, like six foot six one, something like that, and they they came out looking like basketball players. It was incredible. Like 
they they were massive and like I can imagine Iran against a lot of Asian nations would just steamroll them. Like yeah, big big, big athletic monsters a lot of them. James, how's how's Vietnam rated uh, nowadays? I mean, the national team they're they're highly regarded within kind of Asia. I mean, South is it South Asia, Southeast Asia? You know, they I know yeah. Indonesia and Thailand think they 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 are the best, but Vietnam is strong and steady. Yeah, they are. They've they've been improving over the last since I've been here. Uh, the last five years, uh, there's been a, a steady improvement in, in performances. And I think that is drawn from the fact that the professionalism has, has increased in the game. It's becoming more prevalent throughout all the club teams. There's, good, there's more academy teams. Um, I'm just trying to see the national ranking here. It can currently 94, which is only 10 places below their highest, which was 84 in 98, and their lowest in 2006, which is 172. So, yeah, in, I think, like, in terms of, like, the, the figures, obviously, they're doing well. But in terms of what you see in the performance, I think in the last um, uh, AFC uh, tournament, they, they reached the, at least the last, last 16. I think they actually reached the quarterfinals. And then in the under-23 one, they got to, the, got to the final and narrowly lost on in the final on a, on a snow-covered field. There is, a, and it's a really young team. And it goes, actually, it all comes out of one, one big academy. It's the Wan Jalai team, which is kind of uh, on, the eastern, on the eastern side, halfway up. And there's a, there's a chap there who invested a massive amount of money in building a real academy team and, and bringing all the best of the youth players through. And he's heavily involved in the, in, in the national, national team as well. And he provides a lot, of, a lot of money to the national team. So I think, it, you know, when somebody starts to take a real interest and, and really enforce things from a, from a point of view to make the other teams go, well, we've got to do this now because obviously if he's doing it, then we've got to do it. So we've all got to be on the same footing. That really is driving driving the national team, and it is a source of national pride. And you know, I have to say, I, I you know I love to get behind it as well. We love to see great players, and in that aspect, now even it, not even in the V League, in the V League, there was a period where the fans didn't show up, like it was just they weren't interested. But now the fans are coming back to the stadiums, and you're getting full stadiums, or yeah. and that's that's amazing. Because five years ago, I, when I came, like ah, we don't go and watch anymore. It's not interesting. So, yeah, there's a real drive in the last five years, and I, I think that's going to continue. And you're starting to see a couple of the players start to move abroad um, into Korea, into Thailand. Um, uh, one of the players, um, Van Hao, recently went to Heronveen in the, in the, in the Erdovizio. Yeah. He's actually come back now um, because I think uh, Kevin Muscat took over there and said he, he wasn't going to use him. <laughs> but um, yeah, there is that. You don't argue with uh, with Muscat. With Muzzy, no. But there is um, there is that kind of uh, development. So when players are starting to move abroad out of your home, out of their home country to play, and actually getting starting roles, so they're playing in Thailand, they're playing in Korea, then you know there's obviously something good happening. But you know it's consistency, isn't it? And as I see it now, there is there is a good bit of consistency. But you know, hopefully that continues. And uh, yeah, we'll see. Absolutely. Hey, Amos, just, just to finish off, mate, I mean, if you had the choice to go to China or the UAE again, which one would you choose? Although you're happy where you are in Bristol, if you had to make <laughs> Yeah. 
Um, mate, that's a good question. I think at the moment, with everything coming out of China, you probably have to say the UAE, right? I mean, from a personal perspective, the UAE was an unbelievable, an unbelievable place to live. Like the quality of quality of living, you know, the beaches, the the safety of it, the everything was unbelievable, and it's um, yeah, that'd be that'd be a really good place to live. I think the Chinese Super League was and you guys are know more about this than me but it was seemingly like getting quite exciting and garnering a bit more interest now what happened to that post-covid i don't know but um but yeah it'll be interesting i know like it's incrementally the foreigners in the teams have seemingly just been going up and up so i don't know if or i don't know if sort of that asian champions league is going to start to get dominated by those teams but um, it's interesting isn't it uh, james what about you china or uae uh, well, listening to Hamish is the fact that the players are lazy. I'm not keen on that. <laughs> but, kill them. Yeah, kill them. I'm not going there. If anyone's listening, though, I would go there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd say, for me, because a lot of the things that Hamish has said from a lifestyle point of view, I'd like to I'd give uh, UAE a shot. Because I think, you know, with the World Cup coming in Qatar, I know that's not, that's not it's a separate country, but it's the same region. So I think I'll, I'll pile it in there. Uh, you know, I wouldn't mind giving that a shot because I think I think there is the potential there. Obviously, I don't didn't I can't obviously work, working in Bangladesh. I do get the idea that players can be sometimes a little bit need a bit of more motivation um, culturally. Um, but yeah, I'd go UAE for me. Don't I'll make it. I'll make it a full house of three in a row. If I'm on the same money as I was in China, living in UAE, yeah, I'm in for UAE. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Go on. Find us a club, Matt. <laughs> Let's see. Gents, it's been a great chat. Hamish, thank you so much for your time, for coming on, mate. What a great insight. Really enjoyed listening. And uh, I wish you all the best with Bristol City for when the season eventually starts again. And just keep enjoying it, mate. Thanks for having me, gents. It was a good chat. Good to, good to bounce some stories. There's some bonkers ones out there. So it was, um, yeah, it was good to chat. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening from myself and James for what was another great episode. Hope you enjoyed it. And to make sure you do not miss further episodes in the future, subscribe on your favourite platform. There's nine available for the Developing Your Football World podcast. Stick it into Google. Choose your platform. Subscribe and get notified when the new episode is live. Stay strong. See you next time.